Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, let me uh, welcome you all here and particularly to hear um, Minister Perrottet. Um, as I said, he's been here before and, and since now he's has, has become, well, because he's the Minister for Property, which somehow fits in between finance services, and oh, at the end, according to this, Minister for Services and Property, as well as Finance, the, 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 if you've seen the um, press over the last little while, there's all sorts of plans for turning this great street of ours here into the, one of the major precincts, historical, cultural and institutional precincts of Sydney and perhaps the country. Dom was, uh, he was educated at Sydney University, became a solicitor. At university he was involved in student politics and eventually he uh, was elected in March last year as a state member for Hawkesbury. Uh, and he was before that the state member for Castle Hill. And in April last year was appointed as minister. Uh, he's always been fairly outspoken, I must say, and not, uh, not afraid to put strong views with a really good philosophical and ethical base to them all. So please welcome Dominic Perrottet. Thank you, Greg. And uh, can I say that, uh, as you say, with, with property in the portfolio, there's a lot in my, I've often said that my portfolio is like the miscellaneous portfolio across government, that when they don't know what to do with something, uh, they end up giving it uh, giving it to me. So it's a very much a mix of unrelated areas um, across, um, across the state uh, portfolio. But can I say from the start and thank Greg and CIS for everything that they do. And I think a lot of the time at the moment there is a lack um, of thought leadership and policy development, um, particularly amongst politicians. And we do rely, and that's whether on the centre left or the centre right of politics, for think tanks to come in, discuss issues. Um, and, and promote them in the public sphere. And uh, from a personal level, uh, you know, whether it's Greg and Simon and, and the team, uh, in terms of meeting with the office and, and having the opportunity to, as a soundboard to run ideas from you and, and hear your thoughts in relation to things that we can improve on in New South Wales um, has, has been very instructive and, uh, and very beneficial to us. So keep up the great work and uh, very much appreciate the support um, that you provide me and, and, uh, and the government. So I'll begin with saying that uh, you might have seen uh, recently ads on TV in relation to customised number plates. And I was watching an ad recently and it reminded me um, being a young boy around the age of six and uh, remembering what number plates were uh, like back then, back then. And there were certainly no uh, fancy words or, or colours. It was a one size fits all uh, black and yellow number plate uh, with the words etched at the bottom of that number plate saying New South Wales, the premier state. And I do remember as a young kid thinking how lucky I was that I, I apparently lived uh, in the best state of the nation. How good, how good was this? Uh, but what did that statement show? It showed a lot of confidence. And we had it in spades here in New South Wales and that filtered down uh, to a young kid uh, like me. And of course, and everyone else, uh, I then had the uh, misfortune of growing up with 16 years of successive Labor state governments. <laughs> And it's no coincidence that as the fortunes of the state declined, uh, so too quietly did those number plates uh, get phased out. Um, and stepping back though, uh, and looking at it, uh, it is fair to say that after 16 years of one party rule, uh, New South Wales had a ground to a halt. Our economy was the worst performing in the nation and when Tasmania's doing better than you, you know you've got problems. Uh, the big projects, uh, the big projects uh, that we needed 
uh, to end congestion, uh, to build the public transport had all but stopped. And there was a real sense of cynicism and disillusionment about whether the government could actually retain a leader uh, for five minutes, uh, let alone deal uh, with the pressing affairs of state. We had lost our way. So fast forward uh, to exciting 2016. After five years of reformist government, things are now very different. Our economy is the engine room of the, of the nation. Our Treasurer last week announced our unemployment rate at 4.9%, the lowest in the country. We have a zero net debt position. We have a budget uh, that is in surplus, revised up now to $4.7 billion. Uh, there are more cranes in the skies than any city uh, outside of Dubai. Consumer and business confidence is once again surging. And we have a $73 billion infrastructure agenda that is transforming almost every corner of our state. And judging on these results, New South Wales is once again the premier state. Now at a macro level, we've achieved a lot of these changes by making a series of bold decisions and pursuing tough and difficult reform. One of these, and the major one as you'd be aware, is the leasing of the poles and wires uh, to make the infrastructure dreams that we have a reality. Our decision for a long-term lease of these assets was taken to the election. At the time, many saw it as a significant political gamble. Many had tried, everyone had failed. But a recent Galaxy survey has shown that 61% of people support asset recycling once uh, they are informed and made aware of the benefits associated with it. And only 9% oppose such an approach. And support for that is even hot, for asset recycling is even higher amongst my generation uh, of millennials. So we were very, very clear with the electorate that the proceeds at the time would go to specific projects to build the roads, the rail, the school and the hospitals that this state desperately needed. With a lease of Transgrid for $10.3 billion last year and Ausgrid just last week for $16 billion, the gross proceeds currently stand at $26 billion with one asset to come, as Roger knows very well. These reforms are important because a strong economy and a good society are two sides of the same coin. The former without the latter is soulless, and the latter without the former is a cruel mirage. But it is the work inside government that I really want to talk to you about today. And while we've had a lot of wins across the board by thinking big, for the past two years, we've pursued a number of reforms in my own patch in the Department of Finance, Services and Innovation. Now, compared to mega departments like health and education, DFSI is relatively small at 6,000 people. But we have pioneered a number of key changes that have seen us fundamentally transform the back office of government. And I believe that the changes that we have made, that those reforms can be served as a template on how modern government should operate. So I'll take you through a few of them. In just a little over two years, we've exited our technology business, shutting down service first and actually engaging IT experts uh, to run our government IT. We've exited our fleet management business, dissolving state fleet with its 25,000 cars. We've exited our construction business, transitioning New South Wales Public Works to a strategic advisory group. We are exiting uh, the land and property information in conjunction with the Treasurer, but maintaining regulatory control and ownership of the data. 
We've commercialised the work cover bureaucracy into iCare, the largest insurer in the Southern Hemisphere. We've shut down numerous old-style government shop fronts, replacing them with Service New South Wales one-stop shops. We've absorbed the functions of the old Sydney Harbour foreshore authority into property New South Wales. We've reformed our procurement model, which has returned nearly half a billion dollars to the bottom line. We've also applied asset recycling to our property portfolio, including selling $400 million of CBD uh, office blocks to fund new housing supply. We've raised $200 million for new social housing by selling off the old stock at Millers Point. We're hypothecating the proceeds from the Schiffer assets to provide a $200 million facelift for Circular Key. We're opening up the regal sandstone buildings that you'd be aware of on, on Bridge Street by earmarking them as hotels, which will boost the visitor economy. And we've relocated, and in the process sorry, of relocating 2,000 bureaucrats to Sydney's West, which represents the biggest decentralisation of public servants out of the CBD in our state's history. So by my calculation, the, sum of these, the total sum of these reforms is $750 million in opera, operational savings, over a billion dollars in capital savings, and we've recycled over a billion dollars of assets. And while every other, at the same time, single department has grown, uh, we will see DFSI's numbers reduce, uh, public service numbers reduce by around 15%. And yet, we are delivering more services better services in a more agile and efficient way than ever before. Uh, this is more than just reform. This has been a deliberate disruption to one government department that has yielded significant results for our citizens. So many of you here in business, and I've heard some stories already today, know firsthand that making change is hard work. Well, I can assure you in government, it's a lot harder. We've learned a number of valuable lessons along the way on how government should function that I would like to share with you today. The first is to relentlessly focus on what we should be doing and get out of everything else. This means that we shouldn't be running IT companies. We shouldn't be managing car fleets or operating construction companies. Our core business is service delivery and that is where we should be focused. There is a growing public awareness that while governments are accountable for services, they are not always in the best place to deliver them. For example, the government provides a ferry service for Sydney commuters, but the actual delivery of that service is run by the private sector. We now have a better service delivered at a lower cost to taxpayers. My view is that if there is a well-developed, mature private sector capability in a mature market that can do it better than we can, then they should. Our role is to provide the best services for our citizens the best value to them as well. Now, while it makes eminent sense to me that commodity functions of government should be done by others, I'm certainly not a privatisation ideologue. There are certain things for the public good where I believe governments should take a leading role, such as maintaining our shared heritage. One of the small ways we contribute to this in, in my department is running our own team of stonemasons. And due to the specialist maintenance needs and limited availability, of this unique skill. We have recently increased their funding and expanded their program of work to ensure that our precious sandstone buildings can be enjoyed and appreciated for generations to come. There are also certain roles and functions of government that have a social component where a public service ethos, not a profit motive, must be present. For example, the government has an obligation to provide insurance for those who are injured at work or affected by dust diseases. 
When the bureaucracy was failing to deliver this in the old workers' compensation scheme, we didn't move to privatisation. Instead, we created iCare, a social insurer which is publicly owned but commercially run. We are doing things more efficiently. While we are doing things more efficiently, the public sector ethos is maintained. We are not running for profit, we are running for people. The iCare model shows that public service delivery does not have to be a binary choice between inefficient bureaucracy um, and uh, privatisation on the other hand. The model of a commercial mind and a social heart which we brought to iCare is something that I would actually like to see extended to other parts of the public service like Service New South Wales where it will give us the opportunity to deliver better benefits for our citizens. The third lesson is what a difference it makes when the government is redesigned around its citizens, not around legislation, process or bureaucracy. Now while to the outside world we might appear as a united entity called government, internally as I've found out over the last couple of years, it's a completely different story. I would go so far to say that the biggest enemy of making progress in government are the silos that exist and are defended by different government departments. We need to focus more on people than we focus on agencies. And this is where technology comes in and will play a vital role. In many ways, it is the most effective battering ram in breaking these silos down. When it comes to technology, governments shouldn't necessarily be at the cutting edge, where the risks are the highest, but where we need to be are fast followers using and applying what works. Using technology to break down silos is the aim behind rolling out Service New South Wales, accompanied by its flagship digital program. But why we are applying this thinking, uh, why, what we are also applying this thinking with the help of the Customer Service Commissioner Mike Pratt into other areas such as mine subs mining subsidence uh, and just recently in relation uh, to our announcement on property acquisitions. The next lesson we have learned is how, to is how important it is to liberate capital from the balance sheet. I'm still yet to meet anybody who's, who can talk about and say how it makes economic sense for government agencies and ministers to come cap in hand to ERC asking for more money, for more capital investments while sitting on dormant uh, capital infrastructure and property across their portfolios. I said at a speech last week for government property that asset recycling has been the secret, success, secret source uh, behind um, our financial success. Asset recycling means we don't have to borrow more money, we don't have to raise new taxes, instead we are making better use of what we have and as a result we can see more cranes in the skies. Another thing government tends to do is talk up its numbers, as in a bigger investment automatically means better results. Now when it comes to things like infrastructure, and I've already talked about our $73 billion infrastructure spend, uh, it's certainly the case uh, that more spending certainly signifies uh, more activity, unless you're building uh, the Roselle Metro. But, uh, but, 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 but this does not necessarily apply uh, to all government services. Uh, too often now, elections become spending contests, where the only measure of success is how much we are throwing at the problem. If it were all that simple, all our problems would be solved. The reality is we cannot measure policies by their intent, their, their inputs, or how they make us feel. We can only measure policies by the outcomes that they deliver.
That is why the Premier has listed 12 key priorities for the state to focus on. Things like creating jobs, reducing homelessness and fast housing approvals. These are all specific outcomes that can be measured and tracked. It is also very important uh, to get the right people on the bus to drive these reforms. And uh, we have Martin Hoffman here, the Secretary of the Department of Finance, Service and Innovation. He's been a, a key player and a crucial component of the success that we've achieved. But him, alongside the uh, Customer Service Commissioner, the CEOs of iCare, Property New South Wales and Service New South Wales, all have extensive successful experience in the private sector. And because they are not traditional uh, public servants, their new ways of thinking have challenged the old ways of doing things and have been a key ingredient in making our reforms work. In my experience, the vast majority of public servants are dedicated and very passionate about what they do, but they are held back by old processes and dated structures which we must change. This then is the model of government that I think we should be pursuing. It must be relentlessly focused on the essentials. It must move beyond the binaries, bureaucracy or privatisation, employing new models of doing things uh, with, a, with a commercial mind and a social heart. It should be designed around the needs of citizens using technology to break down silos. It must only retain assets that are essential for service delivery and recycle the rest. It must measure, it must measure the outcomes, uh, not the inputs. And it must have the right kind of strategic leadership in place. This is a model of a 21st century government that can deal with 21st century problems. Now what we've done, uh, now, now that we've done this in DFSI, in my view, we should look to extend this model across the rest of government. This is why we've set up just recently with the Treasurer and myself as a Finance Minister, a commissioning and contestability unit to define, to analyse and implement service delivery reform opportunities in other areas like health, education and transport. I want to emphasise that there is one reason that this government should do these things, or in fact there are seven million reasons why. And those reasons are you and me and the seven million other people who call New South Wales home. These reforms are the best means, and I believe the only means, for establishing a government that does precisely what it needs to do. To empower citizens to live their lives to the fullest, to share in the prosperity that we have on offer, and to freely live their lives in community with one another. So I feel it necessary to point out that the opposition has stood against almost every single one of these reforms. Now, while the job of the opposition is to oppose, uh, their opposition goes much further than that. It's my belief that the Labor Party is structurally wedded to the old and dysfunctional model of big government. And while we see this mo model as broken and want to fix it, uh, their instinctive reaction is to protect it. They have become the Praetorian Guard of preserving the status quo. In this new world, Labor are the backward conservatives defending legacy big government. It is noteworthy that while the private sector union movement um, involvement has declined to just 11%, union membership among public servants stands at around 40%. And they continue to donate, ex donate ex exclusively to parties on the political left. This explains 
why Labor protests so stridently at any attempt to rein in public sector spending. They have a vested interest in running a protection racket for dysfunctional government because it secures their, their, their future and, uh, and their, their, political fu their financial and political future. If we have battled years for years with this opposition just to close down a few outdated motor registries, I can only imagine how difficult it would be at a federal level to attempt to reform in areas such as health, education and welfare. Now reform is hard work and we wear our political, we wear these battles as political scars with pride. So after taking all the tough decisions, we have now been, we will now be penalised by having more GST funding handed out to non-reforming states. We are building the infrastructure of the future whilst other states across this country are dithering. We are not doing it with our hands out. We are doing it whilst we are making better use of what we have. But while we are taking action, other states are benefiting off the back of our tough reforms. In South Australia, the Labor government has put its ideologically zealotry for green politics above the practicality of actually keeping their lights on. In Queensland, the Labor Premier, who didn't know the rate of the GST, has hired over 10,000 bureaucrats in the last 12 months and allowed unions to use government resources for recruitment work. Meanwhile, in Victoria, currently spending a billion dollars to not build a road, Daniel Andrews is rolling out a social engineering program so radical and extreme it makes Joan Kerner look like Margaret Thatcher. So while we claim a mandate to get, pra to get practical things done, Labor claim a mandate to change the basic social fabric of society, all funded by our tax dollars. As Greg Sheridan put it recently, this is what you get from modern centre-left governments. Identity politics, green gestures, economic failure. The current GST carve-up does not reward political reform. Under the principle of horizontal fiscal equalisation, where all citizens can expect to have equal standards of government services, non-reforming states are being rewarded for their inaction. As Judith Sloan has written, the states that receive relatively, relative shares greater than one are those who have pursued anti-growth policies and have bloated public services. Clearly, the bigger you are, the more ideological you are, the more incompetent you are, the more money you end up getting. This is like a cash for clunkers scheme gone bad where we actually keep paying for the old clunkers to remain on the road. Now the federal government does, not already, does, not or, uh, does already provide some incentives for the right kinds of reform behaviour. As you know, the asset, its asset recycling initiative, which we have taken advantage of, gives states 15% of, um, of any asset sale as a bonus payment as long as that transaction, the proceeds, go into new infrastructure. So why then would we not extend this model into other areas? Should states receive bonuses and incentives for delivering key services against key outcomes? Things like measuring customer satisfaction, which we've been doing with Service New South Wales, maintaining a streamlined public service ratio or reducing taxation. It is clear that something has to change since there are not enough incentives for state governments to embark on tough reform at their own political expense. So ladies and gentlemen, reform is important because the problems that governments are facing are only going to get worse. Despite the best efforts of central bankers, below trend growth seems here to stay. 
At the same time, the budgets are tightening, demand for services and infrastructure across the state is drastically increasing. Our population is going to grow substantially, 2.1 million more in New South Wales alone, alongside an ageing demographic. Meanwhile, the lessons of Europe show us exactly where big government, high taxation, uncontrolled spending and heavy regulation has led. As I've written before, the generation known as the millennials is coming. And I can tell you uh, that they have no patience for backward models of government that should be consigned to the distant past. These challenges make the, make the reform imperative even more pressing. The journey to a brighter future has to be funded from the actions of today. Reform is not just about making changes, but about creating solutions. And that is what this government actually does. We have been proactive in delivering better services for citizens across the state. And I believe strongly uh, that calls for more funding, more taxes and more borrowing by government should be treated with an attitude of suspicion. We should be, we as a state should be asked, have you reformed inside first? So to end and paraphrasing uh, my good friends at Greenpeace, state governments must think, think globally uh, and act locally and make the tough decisions to reform. Thank you. Thank you.